Our gospel reading this morning is from the fifth chapter of St. Mark. You may remember from the last couple of weeks that Jesus is in Galilee, and the last two weeks has moved from an area, a Jewish community, into a non-Jewish community by boat. This week, uh, we see in the very first verse that He, is, he has now returned. He has crossed again by the boat to, to uh, the land of Galilee. Verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around Him, and He was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came out when he saw him, fell at his feet, and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed upon him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard of it, Jesus, and came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His cloak, for she said, if I but touch His clothes, I will be made well. And immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was indeed healed of her disease. And immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see this great crowd pressing upon you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. She fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, while Jesus was speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. Jesus strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I have a question for you today, Um, and it is this. What is one word that you would use to describe the pandemic? One word. You have to choose one word. It's sort of hard, isn't it? uh, That's a question that the editors of Psychiatric Times posed posed to their readers recently. 
I assure you I don't read Psychiatric Times. It's a, it's a journal, actually, and I ran across this, you know, how you run across things on the Internet. And, but, and yet I found it to be a fascinating question because they asked their readers a year ago, soon after the pandemic began, and then they asked them just recently just to see if there were any changes. But in any case, some of the words that the, the readers came up with were these, sobering, frightening, aloneness, loss, family, readjust, evolving, reorienting, pivoting, that was a big word it seemed early on, destabilizing, grateful, some said. And the word that grabbed my attention, disappointment. It's not a word that I've used often to describe the pandemic, and yet it certainly makes a lot of sense. A lot of people have faced a lot of disappointment these last, what, 14, 15, 16 months, from high school seniors to couples who had to change their wedding plans. People were disappointed in their politicians, and as late as yesterday, NC State baseball fans were disappointed because they were removed from the College World Series because of COVID. Lots of disappointment and lots of reasons to be disappointed and, well, I don't know, in what some are calling the age of blame. Have you heard it called that these days? It seems to have become sort of an American pastime just to find disappointment in something or someone. But let me ask this. Have you, have you ever been disappointed in someone? And I mean real or something, real disappointment. I mean for days or weeks or in some situations, maybe years, deeply disappointed, only discover, to discover that, well, you were wrong or you were misguided in the first place. Ouch. That hurts, doesn't it? One of my favorite poems tells that very story. I've shared it with you before, I know, but it's just worth telling again. The Cookie Thief. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop and bought a bag of cookies and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book but happened to see that the man sitting beside her as bold as could be, he grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between which She tried to ignore, to avoid a scene. She munched cookies, and she watched the clock as this gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too, and when only one was left, she wondered what he would do. Well, with a smile on his face and a nervous little laugh, He took the last cookie, and he broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. Well, she snatched it from him, and she thought, Oh, brother, this guy has some nerve, and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had been so galled and and sighed with relief when uh, her flight was finally called. She gathered her belongings. She headed for the gate, refusing to look back at that thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane. She sank in her seat. Then she saw her book, which was almost complete. And as she reached into her baggage, she gasped with surprise because there was her bag of cookies right in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his, and he was just trying to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ungrateful 
the thief. Ouch, right? Oh my goodness gracious, been there? When your disappointment is a result of misunderstanding, we all have, if we're being honest, I think. Well, to a certain extent, I do believe that's what's happening in our gospel reading today from the fifth chapter of Mark. Here's a real quick summary, and I invite you actually to pull out your Bibles or your bulletins again, because we're going to walk through this, these two stories. They're really two stories that are presented to us, so uh, walk, walk through them with me. But here's a quick summary. Other than Jesus, there are two main characters, Jairus and a woman who uh, approaches Jesus in the middle of a crowd. And I'd like for us to start with Jairus, a man named Jairus. Look at verse 22. We're told that Jairus is a leader of the synagogue, which means that Jairus was one of the most respected members of the community. He was responsible for the management of the synagogue, but also for the conduct of the services. In other words, he'd be like the president of our congregation council and our facilities manager all wrapped into, into one. And there's something that everybody knew about Jairus in that particular community, that there is absolutely no way that he could have been appointed one of the leaders of the synagogue without loving the synagogue dearly and deeply and, and without faithfully following Jewish law. After all, he had to be a man of high principle and of unwavering faith. But… At the very beginning of the story, we're told that Jairus has a problem. Take a look in verse 22. It's pretty clear. Jairus falls at Jesus' feet and says, my little girl is ill. My daughter is sick. And it's not minor, we later learn. I mean, she is approaching death. In fact, later on, we learn that she, in fact, has died. So this is a serious problem. He's, she's, she's very, very ill. And then next, we learn that Jairus has a solution to his problem. He says to Jesus in verse 22, come, Jesus, come and lay hands on her so that she might be well again. So he has a problem, and he has presented Jesus a solution to his problem. That's Jairus. The second character is a woman who, um, who jumps into the scene just after Jairus has begged Jesus to come to his house to take care of his little girl. Um, and so, in fact, Jesus is on, on the way to Jairus' house. And there's this big crowd, the, the, the story tells us, that's gathered around. And, um, and suddenly, this woman out of nowhere appears as she tries to be uh, secretive in her approach to Jesus. Uh, and because she has a problem. She herself has a pretty significant problem. It's in verse 25. She's been bleeding, hemorrhaging for 12 years. Can you imagine? 12 years, which means she's desperate. I mean, that's easy to see. In fact, we're told in verse 26 that she had suffered such a great ordeal, and, and the care of many of her doctors had spent all that she had. She didn't have anything left to spend, yet instead of getting better, she was only getting worse. She's obviously tried everything. So, what do you do when you've tried everything? You take matters into your own hands. And so, that's what she's doing. She's taking matters in her own hands. She's coming up with her own solution. And the solution that she's come up with is really the equivalent of magic. Here's what I mean. There's an old wives' tale in ancient times that, that um, if you just touch the cloak of a religious man, then your disease will disappear. Well, why not? She thought. She tried everything else. I mean, she's at the end of her rope. So she decides, okay, if I just touch his clothes 
then, then I will be healed. That's her solution. She has a problem, and she's come up with her own solution, and that's why she'd showed up that day. That's why she got out of bed that day, uh, so that she could go and try secretly without anybody noticing, without Jesus noticing, if she could just somehow weasel her way through the crowd and get to Jesus, find out who He is and where He is, and just touch His cloak, the, the hem of His garment. That's all she has to do, and, and you know, there you go. So, you see what's going on. Both of our main characters in, in our readings today, they both have a problem, and they both have their own solution to their problem. All they need is for Jesus to comply, right? But that assumes that they've properly diagnosed the problem. I mean, it's like someone with an addiction who thinks that everything will be taken care of, everything will be changed if they can just eliminate the source of the addiction. In other words, if I just get the alcohol out of the house, all will be well, right? But we know that the problem is almost always bigger than what it first seems in almost any situation. After all, it happens all the time. The person uh, or the thing that we initially blame is rarely the core issue but at least it's a place to begin. It, it seems to be a, a, an easy solution for us. That's why we go there. It, it, it sometimes just becomes an easy excuse for us, or maybe it, it appears at least at first to be a, an easy answer for us. So, we go with it. But these stories invite us to take a deeper dive, to take a little bit more careful reflection, maybe even self-reflection here, to do the hard work of looking at an issue, maybe our issues, whatever you may even have brought today into, into worship this, this morning, to, to look at that issue from another angle. So, let's do just that. First, the woman who interrupts Jesus. And I'd like for you to focus on two words in this, in this part of the story. She's been stressed out for how long? Twelve years. Focus on those two words. 12 years. Can you imagine being stressed over a problem like that, a serious problem, bleeding uh, for 12 years, probably a, a situation related to her menstrual cycle? She is, she is uh, desperate and cannot uh, overcome it. 12 years. I mean, that's, that's the, the time it takes to begin first grade and then until you walk across the graduation stage, right? Twelve long years. And what's worse is that because of her bleeding and because of the nature of this bleeding, she is considered by her community and by the religious community, she is considered ritually unclean. And therefore, throughout that entire time period, twelve years, right, she is unable to worship publicly or to engage in public activity. What that means is that for 12 years, she's essentially been isolated from the rest of society. It's as though she's been an outcast. Are you picking up on what the bigger problem is, is in her life, right? I mean, sure, there's an issue of bleeding. There's a, there's a physical problem that she has got to have taken care of, but there's a much deeper problem that she is wrestling with in her, in her life, her soul. And so, thankfully, Jesus sees it. Thankfully, Jesus understands and is looking more deeply at this situation and notices it right away because Jesus knows that one of our basic needs is to live in community. My goodness, didn't we learn that during COVID? If nothing else, we learned, right, that it's hard to live without community, which is, which is precisely what's at the core of this woman's problem. In order to live, to truly live, 
she, she has to be restored to community. Yeah, she has to be healed of this particular physical problem, but she has to be restored to community. And so look at verse 34. It's interesting. That's why Jesus says to her in verse 34, He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. In other words, your faith has made you well from this disease. But, but then keep reading because this is interesting. So now go in peace and be healed, be healed of your disease. It's interesting because in the original language, be healed is actually a future verb, something that will happen in the future. So what Jesus is saying is this, I've taken away the stumbling block that stood in your way of being in full community with others. That's the hemorrhaging. That's the bleeding, right? Now you go. Now you go and live in freedom. You go and live in community, and that's what's going to bring to you true healing in your life. You see, as is always true in our relationship with God, God gives to us this invitation, this gift of grace, this, this gospel message, this, this, this something that we have received from God that is unmerited, that is unearned. That's what grace is, and He has extended that grace to this woman, and yet it also comes, this invitation, with challenge. And the challenge to this woman is to go. Now you go and live in freedom. You go and live in community, invitation, but also challenge. Now let's look at Jairus. What's Jairus's problem? Sick little girl? Well, sure, yeah, but of course there's much more than that, and Jesus knows it. Jesus knows that Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. He understands that, that, that position, that vocation for Jairus, and that as a leader of the synagogue, Jairus would have been very, very skeptical of Jesus. That's important to see, right? Any thought of Jesus being the Messiah, after all, Jairus would have laughed at, at least if he wanted to keep his job, and that's what had already been talked about. People, the crowd, everyone was sort of murmuring because of what they had already heard and seen of Jesus. They were already talking about Him as as perhaps a Messiah. And so, any thought of Jesus being the Messiah, I mean, Jairus would, would not have allowed that to, to sort of enter into his mind. In fact, he, he could not, he was not allowed to associate with heretics or false messiahs. In fact, in the chapter prior to this one, we learned that, that, that the, the Pharisees, some of whom were part of Jairus's synagogue, his congregation, they were already plotting to kill Jesus. This is serious business. And so, why does Jairus show up that day? I mean, that's pretty risky behavior. That's a risky decision in, on his part. Why does Jairus show up in the first place? Was he that desperate? Was he that desperate that he'd just do anything possible? Did every other option fail? Well, yeah, absolutely. Which is the only reason that Jairus fell at Jesus' feet that day because every other option had failed. And that's the problem. I mean, when every other option failed, that's the only reason He came to Jesus. We do that all the time, right? When every other option failed, that's when we go to the Lord. When every other solution that we've come up with and that we've designed uh, comes to an end, that's when we finally fall at the feet of, of Jesus, right? 
You've gone down that path before. We all have. And that's a problem. Thankfully, Jesus understands the bigger picture in the story. When told that Jairus' little girl has died, he said, look, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. That makes everybody start to laugh, and, and he ignores them, thank goodness. Um, then he goes into Jairus' house. It's just Jairus, his wife, and the three disciples that he's brought with him, and, and this little girl, of course. And he stands at his little girl's bed, and he says, I'm going to show you the sheer power of God to change your life. And he took the little girl's hand, and he says to her, Talitha, which means little girl, rise. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful passages, statements in all of Scripture. Talitha, kum, little girl, rise. And sure enough, she does. This girl who had died is now raised to new life. It's a beautiful, remarkable miracle. But do you know what may very well be the greater miracle in this story? You see, in that very moment… Jesus was, was also looking into Jairus' heart and soul and saying, Jairus, rise. Jairus, know the power of God in your life. Jairus, shake aside your doubt and live. Jairus, set aside that, that which keeps telling you not to believe and believe in your heart, your soul, and your mind that Jesus Christ has the power to change your life. Because no matter what problem you face, no matter how big, no matter how small, Jesus has the power to bring you through it. Which brings us to that beautiful verse from Psalm 30 today. Weeping, it may come with the night, but joy, it will come in the morning. Weeping comes with the night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, like Jairus and like this little girl, like the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, we faced, haven't we, a season of weeping, a serious weeping a season of despair, a season of disappointment, but I'm here to proclaim to you the promise of God that joy comes in the morning. This season of mourning and of weeping is accompanied by a promise that God is preparing for us the dawn of a brand new day in which we can be assured that joy will greet us. So you who are weary, come. You with heavy burdens, come. You with deep disappointments, come. You who, who seem to be struggling with problems that seem too enormous to manage on your own, come. Because Jesus welcomes you here, eager to take your hand and to invite you to rise. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for Your gospel message, Your gospel truth that You've placed upon our hearts today. Lord, we thank You mostly that You are a God who is so eager for us to experience the joy of new life. Lord, I thank You for the many ways that You are bringing us from a place of weeping and of disappointment from a season, for some at least, a season of great despair, that You are in Your power and the power of Your Holy Spirit bringing us to the dawn of a new day in which there will be joy in the morning. 
Lord, we commend to you those who continue to struggle. And we pray that, that they will be surrounded by people of faith who will help to invite them, who will hold their hand and help them to rise and face the joy of community. Lord, we thank you for your gospel truth, but most especially for the power of your Holy Spirit who encourages us and welcomes us into the dawn of this brand new day. In Jesus' name, amen.